0: I'm going to do something a bit brave this morning. I'm going to talk a little bit about psychology. And um, I probably should have actually titled my discussion point contentment, because really that's what it's about. But instead, I've um, given the topic against Maslow. Some people would say Maslow. Abraham Maslow. And uh, I'm doing this because I think he's wrong. And I think I can prove it. And of course I'm not the first who has done that. But uh, anybody, anybody who's ever studied anything about education, psychology, management, marketing, leadership, counselling, any of those things, they would have come across Maslow's Hierarchy, which was first published in the early 1960s. And uh, I've even heard Christian psychologists appeal to Maslow's hierarchy. I've heard a lot of Christians, pastors included, appeal to Maslow's hierarchy as a, a basis for understanding human motivation, understanding why it is that people do what they do. But I've actually done a fair bit of reading about it because, as you know, I spent a decade teaching business in a Christian higher education institution and all the textbooks, even Christian textbooks, refer to it. And I'd always been very uneasy about it. Partly because I knew of stories of Christians whose lives simply did not reflect the theory that Maslow had exposed, had espoused. And I was just talking to someone yesterday, You know there are stories of prisoners of war, Christian prisoners of war, who got the worst possible duties in a prisoner of war camp, which was to clean the the latrine uh, channels up to their up to their um, what do you call this, bit Armpits. armpits? Yeah, that'll do. Up to your armpits in human excrement, and yet they could praise the Lord. They found joy in their hearts, and yet the most basic of their physiological needs were not being met. They died of starvation. They were worked so hard. Many prisoners of war, particularly in the Second World War, they simply died of starvation or exhaustion and some of disease. Despite their physical circumstances, they rejoiced in the Lord. And that's what made me start thinking about whether or not this academic psychologist had got it right. And I read some some Christian comments and I did quite a lot of reading myself around the matter and I came to the conclusion that he's wrong. And that actually the Bible tells us about contentment and it has nothing to do with whether or not we've satisfied some hierarchy of needs. Now, I have to apologise because it disappeared. There's meant to be this wonderful pyramid in the middle. Some of it, has anyone seen Maslow's hierarchy? You would have, Jeannie, you would have come across education, yeah. Early childhood? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's just, it's ubiquitous, which means it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. And people believe in it. But I'm, I'm absolutely convinced it's wrong. And I'll explain why. In the, next, uh, in the next few minutes. So, without the benefit of the pyramid, it's a little bit hard, I guess, for you to get a, a picture of what it's about. But it's a pyramid because what Maslow was arguing was that there are some basic needs that have to be met before we can move on progressively and meet other needs. And right at the bottom of the pyramid was what he called physiological needs. Um, these are the need that we have to satisfy hunger and thirst, our need for physical shelter, and uh, to satisfy sexual desire as well. Once those needs are satisfied, he argued, well, we'd move on to the next level, and that that level was called safety or or security. And uh, that's really about being protected, knowing that, now, we can go home after church today and our house won't have been broken into. It includes a protection, not only from physical harm, but from emotional harm as well. So we have physiological needs, safety needs, and the next level was social needs. These needs include the need for affection, the need to be wanted, to be accepted within a social community, friendship as well. Now, essentially, these needs, he argued, were satisfied externally, not not internally. But you couldn't go on to satisfy the higher-order needs unless the lower-order needs were first satisfied. So from the social needs, the next level was esteem. And this is uh, something which is internal it includes things like self-respect and autonomy, the capacity to make decisions. There are also external factors involved, such as our own status in the world, perhaps measured by the title that we have, or the money that we have, or the car we drive. But also there were external influences, sorry, that they were external factors, our status and recognition Social rec- I'm sure um, Tony Abbott wishes he wasn't so well recognised at the moment because the poor guy can't go into a shopping mall or a hotel without being mobbed by people who don't like him. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's very sad commentary on the state that Australia's in at the moment actually. But anyway, that's a, a different issue perhaps to talk about another time. So once we've satisfied the need for esteem, then the highest level is what he called self Actualization. and that is to become what you are meant to be which includes our own personal growth and self-fulfilment now I've, I've written a couple of notes up, up there I think the first thing to understand is that Maslow was not a Christian in fact he declared himself to be an atheist so he denied the spirit so a human being essentially is uh, chemicals like hormones, electrical impulses up here in our brain. In fact, he argued that we were really nothing more than an evolved animal. That was the term that he used. Furthermore, his hierarchy was based on observations of animals. Animals. And that's very common, of course, in many scientific endeavours to observe mice, rats, rabbits, primates, and then argue that what we see in them can be transferred into humanity. But, of course, that's not quite consistent with our understanding based on the Bible. Because the Bible clearly, clearly states we were created differently. There's a hierarchy in creation. And humanity definitely comes before the animals and the plants. And that's one reason why God gave us dominion over them, to care for them. Because we actually have the capacity to reason. Some scientists would argue that because there are some birds that can use a stick to get uh, little crustaceans out of holes in the sand, that that makes them pretty much like us. But you can, in fact, teach dogs tricks. You can teach uh, primates some elementary uh, language. They, It has been demonstrated. You can teach them sign language, for example. Uh, we know that the, the ways of communication of whales and some other uh, ocean-living animals, Uh, they're very, very sophisticated. They have very sophisticated social networks, as do bees, for example. And then, typically, they argue by metaphor, because you can't prove this scientifically, really, but they argue by metaphor that we're just like them. And what that has led us to, of course, is being prepared to kill babies, uh, even after birth. Um, Babies who survive abortion, even in Queensland, in our hospitals, are left to die. There were 27 (coughs) babies that that happened to in Queensland hospitals. Well, recently. Fairly recently. Disgusting. Yes, Mark Robinson is a Christian MP he was finally able to get the uh, government to to, uh, publish that data. And that's where what we call secular humanism has taken us. Euthanasia, of course, is becoming more common in the state of Victoria about a year ago, passed quite what you might call liberal, with a small l, uh, legislation on euthanasia. And we're seeing pressure both for abortion right up until full term and euthanasia all over the Western world. And a number of Christian writers have argued that Maslow's work opened up thinking on human, sorry, on um, secular humanism. Now, he was a bit religious in a way because he believed that if we could reach deep down, and deep enough down inside ourselves, we would find that which was right and true and proper. But of course, we know now that that is merely wishful thinking. And the Bible, of course, tells us that the heart, the human heart, is full of evil. If we try to arrive at a moral position by introspection, it'll be an evil position. And that's why there are so many who feel it is absolutely and utterly logical to talk about a woman's fertility right or reproductive Rights, And uh, there was a letter written by a very prominent politician in which she said, that's our policy, which actually means abortion up until full term. Secular humanism only started infiltrating our society at about the time that Maslow published his work. And some argue that it underpinned the development of secular humanism in the 1960s, 70s and 80s. One of the sad things about it is that it promoted individualism. That, you know, ultimately what life is all about is self actualization. That everything that we strive for in life Should push us towards the peak of that pyramid, self actualization, to become what you're meant to be. Now, that's all about self fulfillment, it says nothing about otherness or other focus in our lives. In my own research, I actually came across to an alternative way of thinking about the issues that were raised by Maslow. Now they're important issues. Who knows it's important to have food and water? Yes. Right? He wasn't wrong about that. We need food and water. And uh, we do we do have a, a need for belonging. We need to have a sense of competence. So Many of the needs that he identified, we can agree with wholeheartedly. And it's just the way we were made. We were made to need water and food and shelter and the love of family and and community, all those things. So he wasn't wrong about them at all. But what he got wrong was that the human person behaves like a dog or a cat or a rat or a mouse or an orangutan. There is something different about us because God has given us the capacity to reason and also the capacity to have a personal relationship with him. And I don't believe that anybody has been able to demonstrate yet that a dog can have a personal relationship with God. Though that doesn't necessarily mean they won't be in heaven. I just, the Bible just doesn't tell us anything about that, right? So if you loved a dog that died when you were a kid, you might meet up again in heaven. I just don't know, right? The Bible's silent on that. I used to play a song on my country music radio program about that. <laughs> anyway, that's all good. By the way, Maslow was a very nice person, his students loved him, he was a very good teacher, he was a lovely man, but of course that doesn't make him right. So the next slide also got a bit mucked up in the translation to um, our software, and um, I was too busy partying last night up in Toowoomba to um, take the time to check everything, and I was just saying this morning that the Logan motorway was closed, it was closed from 10 and 10 p.m. last night until I think 5 a.m. this morning. And so we had to take a big detour, so we got home a lot later than I thought we would. And uh, <clears throat> I slept in. Which means I didn't wake up until half past six. That's sleep for me. Anyway, it's so I didn't right, have right. time. It's hey? alright. Right. I feel very <laughs> guilty. I feel very guilty. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> anyway, so I don't know that you'll be able to read that very, very, very successfully, but... There was um, a fellow by the name of Howard Bowen, and uh, I've never actually been able to find his original paper, but I have bought I bought a book out a Lifeline. You know, they have Lifeline, have the big book sale twice a year. Well, I bought a book on, on Christian social ethics years and years ago, like, you know, for 50 cents, and I found a whole chapter in this book that summarised Howard Bowen's model and his model suggests this and you'll you'll be able to see the word Christ down the bottom right at the bottom of that up we've got an upside down pyramid here you see Christ is the base for our lives and through him our needs are met now Bowen was an economist, so he was talking primarily about the economic arena, which is where we get our water and our our food from and so on, right? And our, our shelter. So the economic arena is important. It's not the only thing that matters, of course. So Bowen was arguing that work is necessary for human life. I think everyone would agree with that. So even if I don't work, if I, if I retire, and after Friday I could have retired, if I, if I retire and I'm not working, so to speak, there'll be others who work. If they don't, I'm not going to get my water and my food and my shelter and my transport and all those other things I need. So God has instituted work for humanity as a whole in order for us to satisfy those needs that are important to us for life. So work is a necessary condition for human life. But it's also a practical expression of neighbour love. Remember, if you can, when Jesus was asked by the lawyer, what's the most important command? There's about 640 of them in the Old Testament. And typically, a lawyer wants to know, well, which is the most important? So what did Jesus say? self actualizations is the most important? No. God. Love God. First and foremost, love God. What was the next? Love your neighbour as you love yourself. So yes, you can love yourself. But love God first. Love your neighbour. Who is your neighbour? Everybody. Especially the unlovely. They're your neighbour. That's what Jesus said. Now, there is a concept... In Christian thinking, which is called realization of self, it's a very, very different thing to self actualization because self actualization is something we're able to do for ourselves, but self realization is coming to an understanding of who you are in Jesus Christ and the destiny that God has for you on your life. It's a very different thing because you can have self-realisation even if you are cleaning the latrine channels in a prisoner of war camp and you're actually up to your armpits in human excrement. Even when you are literally starving to death, you can have self-realisation. You can know who you are in Christ no matter what your circumstances are. Remember, for communion, there is nothing in the whole of the universe. That can separate us from the love of God. Knowing that God loves us is part of our self-realisation. Realisation, our self-realisation. Knowing that He loves us. And there's nothing, nothing, nothing that can separate us from His love. Bowen recognize that as human beings, we certainly have needs. We have needs for survival and physical well-being. We have needs for fellowship. We have needs for dignity, human dignity. We have needs for humility. We have need for enlightenment, you know, coming to the realization, getting a revelation from God about who we are and what our destiny is in Christ. We have a need for ascetic enjoyment. Man, I love, I love getting up in the morning. And I love going out onto our patio. Our patio is a bit of a shambles at the moment because they haven't tidied it up for a long time. But it doesn't stop the fresh air. Go outside you breathe in the, the fresh air of a brand new day. The sun rises, the sun rays come in under the roof of our patio. That's ascetic pleasure. I love it. I go and feed my goldfish. They're even a wonderment to me. We've got some plants that have managed to survive my neglect. (laughs) They're beautiful. I look at these, the leaves. Oh, my goodness. This reflects the creative power of my God. You know, I love both the natural environment and the built environment. Because the natural environment speaks to me of God's creative capacity and how much He loved us, that He would create it for us to enjoy. But I love the created environment as well. You know, when we were going up to Toowoomba for the birthday party last night, going up the Logan Motorway, you just look, I'm, I'm just, I I'm marvel. The engineers who design all this roading to try to get us from A to B as efficiently as possible. It was a bit of a mess, of course, because there are barriers everywhere and lights flashing. And <laughs> It's interesting because the, the big lights flashing on the trucks that they have at Roadworks were telling us to go one way and the detour signs were telling us to go in the other direction. I'm not joking. <laughs> I said to Jeanette at one time, I really don't know if I'm taking the right road or not. But, but that speaks to me. Something special. I, I love to see it. I don't, I don't see a concrete jungle. I see evidence of the creative powers that God has placed in humankind. The electric motor for aircraft that David's working on. That speaks to me of God's creative capacity. aesthetic. I love it all. I love it all. Because I see God in it. Um, Creativity. We're all creative. Every single one of us is is creative. And, And when I talk to people in business, when I do business seminars, I say to them, you need to do everything you can to design the work in your organisation to enable people to discover, deploy and develop their creative capacities. And so much work is not designed with those purposes in mind. But you see, if we are to experience self-realisation, we need to discover what God has placed in us by way of creative capacity. And we need to deploy it. We need to use it and develop it. Because you see, it's it's not fully developed in us right from the start. That's one of the wonderful things about being alive. You know, we can get better and better at what we do. Because God has given us that that seed, that creative seed. But those around us, our bosses in the workplace, our family members, our friends, they can, they can help us discover it all and deploy it or use it and develop it all for His glory. There's not a single person on this planet who hasn't got a creative capacity within them. Because God is creative and He's made us in His image. We need uh, new experiences. Who who likes to do new stuff? For me, I'm I'm a learner. I like, you know, Gina's studying. She's doing a master's degree. Now, I'm not saying I want to do her master's degree, just don't, you know, because I'm too busy. But, look, I remember when I was doing my senior year at university, I loved it. And, and I was with a group of people, you don't see this so often in university today, but we, we used to go down to the, to the student club after every lecture and have a coffee or sometimes chips and gravy and we'd talk about the lecture and we'd talk about what we'd learnt that was new. I was doing all sorts of interesting things environmental economics, urban economics, development economics, microeconomic theory, macroeconomic theory, econometrics. Every time I went to class, I learned something new about the world in which I live. And there were about six or seven of us in the class, it was only a small class. And almost every time after a lecture, we'd go down and we'd talk about it. I love that stuff. I've learned new stuff about this even this morning. When a scripture came to mind, and I don't think I'll have time to go through all these scriptures because we nearly need to go off for community time. time. We don't. <laughs> you say we don't, Catherine, because we can no, stay I mean on our coffee, a... coffee time. Coffee time, yeah, <laughs> coffee time. <laughs> Isn't that true, Neil? <laughs> we need freedom. We have a sense of justice. We need to um, exercise our personality. These things all matter. But you see, look at this. Through Christ, we experience true transcendence. What does that mean? What it actually means is we can experience self actualization regardless of whether any of those needs are met. Because it is through Christ. It is through Christ. It's not through satisfying our physiological needs and then our safety needs and then our social needs and esteem needs and some kind of self actualization as a hierarchy. No. It all boils down to finding ourselves in Christ, knowing who we are in Christ and becoming aware of the destiny that God has for each one of us. Can I just share with you scriptures and I'll save all the rest for another discussion point because I've got quite a lot of scriptures you'll see up there the the key scriptures are about the kingdom of God you know Matthew 6 24 to 34 it ends with this very powerful statement seek first what the kingdom of God God. don't seek water don't seek food don't seek shelter. Seek first the kingdom of God. You know, it's very interesting in my reading for this. Verse 32 there in Matthew 6 says... I uh, oh, should read uh, verse 31. I should read that one as well. So then, forsake your worries. Why would you say, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For this is what the unbelievers chase after. Doesn't your heavenly Father already know the things your bodies require? Well, what I discovered was the early church fathers, these were the earliest of the theologians, if you like. I wasn't aware of this, but apparently they had access to some ancient documents that no longer exist. And it turns out that verse 32 could also possibly be translated, so if you ask for the great things, God will add to you the little things. So why, why worry about the little things? Because God has got that in hand. Ask the greatest stuff. Changing the world. I'll, I'll share with you one of these days, I don't have time now, but a dream I've had twice about how Ignite Life Church can change or could change the whole of the Gold Coast. I don't know whether it will come to pass, because sometimes God gives us dreams by way of encouragement, right? So I'm not saying this is a prophetic word about what is actually going to come to pass. But it's just amazing. And so I really don't sweat the small stuff, so to speak. But I'm focusing on the big stuff. So if you ask for the great things, God will add to you the little things. I love that. The only other verse I want to share with you, we've talked about the love of Christ. We used that as our communion message this morning. But can I encourage you, to, uh, to go and read that as well. Um, I want to read the, a couple of verses on contentment from Philippians 4, verses 10 through 13. Here Paul is thanking the Philippians for their support. He says, My heart overflows with joy when I think of how you showed your love to me by your financial support for my ministry. For even though you have so little, you still continue to help me at every opportunity. I'm not telling you this because I'm in need, for I have learnt to be satisfied in any circumstance. I know what it means to lack, and I know what it means to experience overwhelming abundance. For I'm trained in the secret of overcoming all things, in other words, in the secret of contentment, whether in fullness or in hunger, And I find that the strength of Christ's explosive power infuses me to conquer every difficulty. Paul had experienced self-realisation. And I find that the strength of Christ's explosive power infuses me to conquer every difficulty. How about that? Uh, In addition to the uh, Scripture 1 Timothy 6 verses 6 to 11, which I won't read because it is discourteous of me to have so much fun up here and expect you to continue to listen to me. But also, uh, in Ecclesiastes 5 verses 8 to 20, there's a little discourse in there on the futility of wealth. Now they're not saying wealth is bad, what What it says here is, striving for wealth is bad. And I'll tell you the reason. It gives us the reason, because you will never be satisfied. If you strive for wealth, you will never be satisfied. And that, by the way, is what's wrong with economics, because economics is based on the idea that you can never satisfy all human wants. And it actually says that in the book of Ecclesiastes, even though it took economists thousands of years to think it up themselves. Uh, there is also a passage in Proverbs twenty-seven. I'm not sure whether I've got that one here. No, I must. Well, I must have left that sitting on my desk at home. But if you have a read of Proverbs twenty, here we go. Proverbs twenty-seven verses twenty to twenty-seven. And look, I will read this out, and we'll finish on that. Note. Are, are you? No, that, that's fine. You can if you want. All means. It's all good. Pardon. Oh, no, I'll tell you why. You just should have said what Mark says. Pastor Rod, may I have some sound, please? (laughs) Just let me read this to you, and then I I promise I will finish up. I'm getting a bit wound up here. I think I could go on for another um, hour, but I won't won't put you through that because I'd be the only one who would enjoy it. But Proverbs 27, verses 20 to 27, I'm using the New Living Translation. Just as death and destruction are never satisfied, so human desire is never satisfied. Human desire is never satisfied. Fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but a person is tested by being praised. You cannot separate fools from their foolishness, even though you grind them like grain with mortar and and pestle. Know the state of your flocks and put your heart into caring for your herds, for riches don't last forever and the crown might not be passed to the next generation. After the hay hay is harvested, and the new crop appears, and the mountain grasses are gathered in, your sheep will provide wool for clothing, and your goats will provide the price of a field. And you will have enough goat's milk for yourself, your family, and your servant girls. I don't know what happens to the servant boys, but anyway, the servant girls get goat's milk. Okay. So this is actually a reflection of that passage in Matthew 24 as well. You know what? God's got it covered. And rather than us worrying about somehow scrambling our our way up through this pyramid of needs why don't we find ourselves in Christ? Come to an understanding of who we are come to an understanding of His love and the fact that there's nothing that we've done, there's nothing that we will ever do, there's nothing that we could think or say, there's nothing that anyone else can ever do, there's nothing that anyone else can think about us or say about us. There's nothing in all of the universe that can separate us from His love. You didn't want heaven with You brought heaven down. We find self-realisation, realisation in who we are in Christ and in the destiny that God has for us. God bless you, and I trust that you may have been blessed by something of our discussion point.